Ready? Three, two, one. Back to Artist Impressions. This week I'm joined by Director of Photography and award-winning cinematographer Aaron Green and Art Director, Set Dresser and Fine Artist Fingal Green. I'm interviewing them together for a couple of reasons. Firstly, they're twin brothers, but also because they often work together on set and I'm interested to know how that works. Welcome, how are you both? Hello, Laura. Hello. Hello. Nice to see your face. Thank you very much for bringing us on board. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, how are you both? How's COVID affected what you've been up to? I know you've both been busy recently, so you've managed it's been to really stay. Odd. It's, been, it's been such a strange time. I guess post-COVID has been right, because I guess the creative industries are kind of, they're kind of recession-proof in a sense. So Because yeah. like, everyone always well, needs... What we're doing. I yeah, because everyone always needs content and stuff. So, yeah. But like actual lock, the first lockdown was just like, I lost. Uh, there was a few jobs that were like going ahead and we're like, yeah, we're still going ahead. And then yeah. suddenly within like a week, like everyone I know and all the jobs I had just like went completely yeah. and like it was dead for like two and a half three months I was kind of slowly taking money out of my tax account crying <laughs> <laughs> and it must have been weird because you're so often like all over the place all over the country all over the world and suddenly stuck at home it was kind of the financial side of it put aside it was kind of nice because like there's always the anxiety of like seeing other people working and being like oh, I'm not working like I should be yeah. working like seeing other people succeed but like it was it wasn't that because no one else was working so there wasn't that stress so it was just it was like a nice time to just kind of meditate let the mind relax a bit (laughs) watch lots of films yeah exactly Mm. and kind of relearn things it was a good bookend for me to completely stop doing construction work actually yeah the financial side of things aside it was quite quite positive you know in the end and it does mean that now if for, for better or for worse there is an absolute ton of work because everybody's trying to now yeah. cram everything in and yeah. with this new lockdown because they haven't you know if you can't do your job from home then you can continue working um so it's been crazy there's been like a huge backlog of projects especially like music videos i don't know that's just because that's the main type of work i do but there's been a lot like it's so all the places you rent equipment for is you can can barely get hold of cameras like it's everything's booked up props houses the same you know particularly like the last few weeks there's definitely a lot of projects going ahead and like i think um the squeeze has been felt more on like you were saying on on trainee roles and stuff i think there are definitely a lot less crew on set well that's what it feels like in the art department and also the roles have been rolled into into one so you know whereas you you should usually have a props driver or something you know yeah i think that's just a knock-on effect from budgets being cut because all these you know all these even i mean i'm not someone who works on a lot of commercials but i think like you get like coca-cola being like oh yeah we've got oh yeah we don't have much money it's like what your coca-cola it's like <laughs> that like companies like that can always get away with like not paying the people who actually make the content and like it's the same with like labels and like, i think just budgets are kind of shrinking Absolutely. because of the whole yeah. recession yeah which is a shame the the production designer i've been doing a lot of work with anthony neil he had noticed in the last sort of few months that because of the whole all of the restrictions people have actually i don't i don't know if this is a sort of industry-wide thing but he's noticed that the concepts for for music videos and stuff have been actually a lot more imaginative because they haven't been able to rely on sort of crowd shots to sort of 
fill-out videos. So actually the concepts have been a lot better. But then the budget is tighter, so there's a lot more sort of juggling that he's having to do. It's true, yeah. I've I've had a similar thing. The music videos I've been working on have been a lot. Before you said that, I was kind of thinking that it was just because I was getting better jobs. I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) But no, could partly be that. maybe not um, let's let's start right at the beginning with your like journeys to where you are now what drew you both to your specific fields and Fingal I know that you have a fine art background painting a bit of sculpture and actually I've noticed quite a lot of people with fine art backgrounds sort of heading towards film art departments so I'm wondering like about that um, relationship so yeah how did you both end up where you are you go first because I sort of um yeah so as as you obviously know, Laura, we were both home educated, which is quite a strange thing for a lot of people to hear. But yeah, we, we didn't go to school much. And then we, I mean, our parents kind of gave us cameras when we were of a young age, um, like little digital cameras. We used to take them when we take photos of them when we used to go on holiday and stuff. I do remember thinking, this is like quite a stereotypical thing to say, like, you know, you had that moment where I realised I wanted to be a filmmaker. <laughs> but I, I remember thinking, like, our photography would be a cool career to like try and pursue. Yeah. But I don't think it was like quite enough for me. I like wanted something more. I guess cinematography was like the kind of perfect thing for me because like, I it's all the things I enjoy like the kind of technical side of things with cameras and or, or lights or what have you and then and marrying that with the whole creative side and making that work within a story and everything and it just I when I went when I first went to uni this is skipping ahead a bit obviously but when I first went to uni like I didn't really know if I wanted to be a cinematographer or a director and I soon yeah. realized that I was really really useless at directing <laughs> and yeah and then I, and then ever since then I just kind of just enjoyed it more and more and more and it's been when we were film for the um yeah i mean that that was because that was also the first brush with um the film you know film sort the camera department yeah the the first the first my first kind of brush with film film industry was was our mum knew someone that worked at the bbc she'd tell this story much better than i do but um and she told this producer that she had two kids at the home home educated she's like what freaks of nature never been to school She's like, let's film these weirdos. Let's film them going to school for a day. So, like, we had this crew when we were, what, 13? I don't know, so around we... that age, sort of early teens, I guess. So we had yeah. this crew come over to our house and film us going to school Just... for the first time ever, which was really... I, I feel like you might have seen it. It was um, I think you probably presented have. by Chris Packham. I probably have. <laughs> was it really? So yeah. I'm going to have to look yeah, this up. Chris Is it readily available? It was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. So funny. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. Inside Out. Inside Out, that's right. Inside I'm Out. my computer. I'm writing this down. <laughs> no one should look this up. I don't think, I hope it's not online anyway. <laughs> it's incredibly embarrassing. It was like a local sort of little 20 minute news story that they they um, broadcasted right. to, to the Southwest, I guess. So that was our first sort of brush with the film industry. And I think and you then, particularly liked... I just, I don't know, I just saw the... <laughs> This is going to sound so vain. When we, were, when we were in the school, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, there's a camera. What? There's a camera. And I was like, yeah. I was the same. I was like, what? Cool, there's a camera. It's filming me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I want, I want to do some of that. And then, which sounds super vain, but I don't know. <laughs> but then, after, was it after that? We went to uh, Bronze DV and we used uh, filmmaking as one of our skills, I think. And so we went to this, like, film club every week and our local town Bridport then PVA PVA yeah as it was then called which was great so good this so it was just a small little incredible guy named James that was that was great and we made like some little films there some little documentaries and and then I went to college in Weymouth did a film and TV course and the thing had a gap yard 
<laughs> when I did, when I didn't have a gap year, and you I just, I just station. did an apprenticeship and did a bit of radio station stuff, and then I went to got into uni in London, which was kind of my probably the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> Getting out of Dorset, <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be done. <laughs> as much as I do love Dorset, and as much as I do miss yeah. it, it was you can't there's not really, really a, there's not a film industry down there. It's like there's just no. kind of corporate videos and and. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a very different thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would not be where I am today if I had stayed in Dorset. That's for sure. But um, it was great because, like, when I got into uni, the the years above us were were working. So as yeah. soon as you arrived, and you were kind of people knew you were like competent ish. Like yeah. you just start working with each other and bouncing work with each other students, and it was like such a competitive environment because like you'd be like, oh, I just learned this skill, and like, oh, I just learned this. So we'd like. We're learning so quickly, and we're all really far up our own asses and really full of ourselves. But it was, <laughs> it was. But it really... kind of helped because it propelled you to to go out there and actually, yeah. you know, pursue work and and be on shoots and yeah, you know, work no, for it was, free. It was incredible. Whatever. It was really incredible, and because it, it was uni, it was essentially a, like the course itself. I wouldn't say really benefited me too much, but it was just surrounding myself with other people who had similar aspirations. And who we could bounce work off and how we could all just get on set. Because that's how you learn, by getting on set and just working. And that was just invaluable. I started to work in the camera department in music videos. On really um, bad, low-budget music videos. (laughs) (laughs) Which I learned a lot and it was really good. Really good. When I graduated, I was just about to kind of a stage where I could just about afford to live in London through the kind of camera assisting jobs I was getting. um, Which was very just very lucky like very lucky and feel very grateful to being able to afford to live in london still it was really weird graduating because it was like it was a bit of a wake-up call because like it was like the university was like this cosm of i was like a mini little film industry and we're like oh yeah we're really good at this environment yeah and i graduated i was like wow i'm really useless at all this I've got absolutely no clue what I'm doing. But that's the thing, isn't it? The, the more you... The more you know. The more you know, the, the more you realise you don't know. Yeah. It's that sort of opening up of the sort of, of the knowledge tree, I guess. Yeah. I remember um, seeing this graph once on Instagram and it was like, and it was like your actual knowledge kind of slowly gains and your, your, the knowledge you think you know spikes really and then kind of slowly meets. <laughs> meets your actual... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that's such a thing when you graduate as well. Yeah. You're like... What did I actually learn at you? (laughs) (laughs) Is it useful to me? Literally. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then I I was I said I was camera assisting for three, four years or so, which isn't really that long. Like I wish I'd done it for longer because there's a lot more knowledge to be gained. Music videos really allowed me because they're always looking for people to work for not very much money. I was like, hey, I'm that I'm that guy. So I started to kind of like be the de- the director of photography on more music videos. So I kind of slowly started to kind of transition into shooting stuff. I was always quite scared of like transitioning and stepping up to a DP, mm. but it kind of happened quite naturally. I was very thankful for that. But I, get, I guess I kind of now it's funny though because I miss watching other DPs work. There's so much to yeah. learn from that. But now. I can't do that, and I just feel like I'm... You have to figure it out. Yeah. Now everyone's yeah. watch me. podcasts. You watch too. podcasts or just kind of... <laughs> just get a really good gaffer and get them <laughs> to do it for yeah. you. DPs usually go through, like, the lighting crew route or the camera crew right. route, and I yeah. went through the camera crew route, so I always feel like I'm really de- behind on my lighting. <laughs> right, so, but But, yeah, and then... So now I'm, I've been full-time shooting for a year and a half now, I'll say. 
really nice to be able to say that. Yeah, and then I got uh, this agency called Wizzo picked me up, which was a nice little confidence boost. Yeah. <laughs> well done, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Their job is, yeah, to find me work and, and get me good rates and recommend me for stuff they think I'd be good for. And... Nice. Should, should I have contacted them for this interview? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'll have to contact my agent. I don't, I don't deal with this stuff feel anymore directly. I feel like such a twat saying that to people. <laughs> Like, I'm that guy now. So yeah, can you contact my agent? But <laughs> <laughs> like, it's kind of a thing now because all of the invoicing and stuff is. Yeah, yeah. it does. It does feel really weird. Nah, yeah. Good thing. I. It was much more. My sort of move into the film industry was much more of a sort of slow. Because I'd followed art all the way through, and you know, our mum's an artist, so I guess that was kind of a natural thing. And because we both did art at GCSE. Um, I guess I, I kind of followed that path all the way up. I managed to to skip out doing a foundation course and I got into university, you know, just off the back of my uh, the, the college course. So I kind of I, I followed fine art all the way up to university. And I think before I started the fine art course at Cardiff, I had in my mind that because the fine art course is so open, practical one that you can kind of you can you can mold it into whatever you want really. You know, if you're if you're particularly interested in sort of puppetry, then you can you know, spend your whole three years. Make, if it's a particularly open fine art course, which is what I was looking for when I was applying, um, you can mold it into whatever you want. And I kind of had in my head that I was going to do graphic design or something when I'd graduate. And I guess that slowly morphed. I guess because I was reintroduced to film through Aaron. I can't speak for other people, but I always had a, a difficult time grasping what the art department actually did. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so broad. It's so specific, but it's, it can also be so broad. So, you know, I'd often ask Aaron, um, you know, what does what does the art department do? You know, what what are they responsible for? And, and I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't know, and I think you only really realise what they're responsible for when you start working in it. After I graduated, I did a bit of travelling, and I sort of came back. And I knew that I couldn't support he myself. Fa- he found himself. <laughs> I went to Southeast Asia and found myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Had Got transport some dreadlocks. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you put me off my train of thought. <laughs> um, After I knew I, I, I knew I needed to be work to be in London. Basically, I, when I got back. Um, so I started working because we always spent time outside. I, I started. Um, I knew that I could probably do gardening and decorating. So I was I was self-employed painter, decorator, and gardener for for a little while actually, uh, and then it was just a fluky little thing. I had a leaflet up, and someone who works who owns a um, construction company locally to to Dorset saw my leaflet and picked me up because they needed some more staff. So he got me on as a decorator. Um, which was great, actually. That was a real sort of confidence boost, you know, being completely self-taught. I think there's a sort of a notion that um, anybody can do decorating. You know, there's a phrase, if you can piss, you can paint. But it's not really true. I mean, obviously anybody can can pick up a roller, but actually to do it properly, it does take something. Um, But I think because of the sort of fine art, it was was something I I could quite easily blag my way into. Which I did. (laughs) This is the way people talk, it's like blag your way into, you've got like a fine art degree and you can't. You're like blank his way into like doing some decorating but, or some. You know, walls. it's like, not pretty sure you're qualified. To painting do that. somebody's house is not is not like paint. You know, there is you have to have it's not like something. A, it's not painting packet Picasso, is it? No, no, it's not. But you have to you know have to have a work ethic and a, a sort of attention to detail and stuff. 
which is not a given, you know, studying fine art. Yeah, no, it's certainly not the case with the people who decorate this no, house. No, absolutely not. Our, our house is shocking. Paying around wardrobes. Literally, Aaron's wardrobe upstairs, instead of moving the wardrobe, they painted round it, which we had... <laughs> <laughs> my mind that's, but yeah so for another conversation that is for another, another time um, but yeah so they picked me up and I, I I learned a lot on the job I learned a lot of very useful useful things about woodwork and, and decorating and plastering and stuff a lot of very sort of technical knowledge but it was never it was always a means to an end in order to move to London because I think by this point by the time I got back from travelling I, I decided that I wanted to try and work in film uh, I don't know if this is the case with you but I think because of the attitude of parents had to work because they both always self-employed i always had in my head that i wanted to do something i enjoyed i wanted to do something creative that i enjoyed yeah. uh, and i think that's why graphic design I, when i realized what it actually looked like you know working in office in front of a mac yeah i mean it, definitely not for me and that's why actually construction work was quite good because it was it was always something slightly different every day it was very um very hands-on you know and it was somewhere that I could hoover up a lot of new knowledge. And all of the practical skills that I learned doing that actually have a, have a, they have a, a great application to uh, the art department. But anyway, I finally, I finally made the plunge uh, last... Well, actually, no, I didn't even. I was still working full-time up until February for the construction company. So actually, the first lockdown was quite a good... Cause I, so I'd been working for odds and ends. Aaron would sometimes get me on shoots, like, at the weekend or something. So I would, like, work you know, work full-time all week, and then at the weekends I come up to London and work on a shoot. And I, I, was, I don't know how I did that. I did that for, like, two or three months, I think, and that was very, very hard going. Um, yeah. But it was the only way that I could see to support myself, because I already had this, this work down in Dorset, you know. And there's always that sort of cushion period. Aaron, Aaron managed it because he had his um, the, the loan when he was studying, you know, so he, the, the, all of the free work he did... He did in those three years, basically, and they had had a, enough of a sort of skill level that he could, you know, start getting paid for things. Well, more, of, I think, just more of a network of people. To, well, yeah, I know. guess that as well. Yeah, but yeah, I guess I always had in my head that I would have to do free work for you know at least six months until I found my feet in London in the art department. I guess that's why I continued to do the construction work for such a long time because I, I wasn't quite ready to make the jump yet. But yeah, February. So I was still doing the construction work in February, and actually. The, the lockdown was a fantastic bookend for all of that to, to, to yeah. sort of finally like not go back and also I think partly it, it was a bit of luck a bit of luck and a bit of having knowing the right people mm. um, Aaron got me in contact with a production designer that he uh, you'd work with him a little bit but he was just the right person at the right time I think he's always very busy he always has a lot of work on he has a great attitude and he has a team team of people that he works with and he, he needed more people so I, bet, I, I guess I just talked to him at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I went up to meet him. Um, so I worked with him a couple of times while I was still doing the construction work. And then after lockdown, That's he picked there. me up. It's often the case, isn't it? Like, like when I first started camera assisting, like the person I replaced was moving into the lighting department. He'd, pretty, he'd been a focus puller and then, and then he wanted to stop doing that. So I, I just took his place, basically, mm-hmm. and just... Just cleaned up his work, which is <laughs> great for me. Yeah. So I think the, the reason that he's continued to give me work is because I can drive. So I can drive be- because there are less people on set and we don't have a props driver or whatever. The fact that I can drive fans is very helpful. Yeah, if anyone wants to work in the film industry, learn to drive. Definitely learn to drive, yeah. <laughs> so I ba- I've basically been working with him since the middle of August.
want to know a bit about like how much creative freedom you both have um and I know now Aaron now you you've sort of moved up to director of photography that's quite a lot of responsibility I'm interested in your relationships with directors and I'm also interested in how all the different types of films you make changes your approach and Fingal I guess you're making someone else's design but how much do you feel like you can bring your own creative self to those things so it depends who you work with I think yeah. it, you know being an art assistant doing art assisting it definitely depends who you work with um, Anthony is great in that respect I mean he obviously yeah. he has his own vision and you are executing that vision but within yeah. that because he only works with people that he he trusts to yeah. you know to be autonomous to make their own decisions in that sense I do you know yeah I have a decent amount of freedom to suggest yeah. things and stuff and it is limited freedom but executing someone else's vision the, the stage I'm at there is kind of a, a sort of comforting safety in yeah. in you know yeah. not taking on too much responsibility mm-hmm. and just sort of doing you know doing what you're good at so yeah I mean and probably a nice satisfying difference from art school where you're completely alone and having to think about everything I can imagine it's quite nice to sort of have the satisfaction of using your skills to make something for someone that's finished absolutely and I think there's actually you know every time I work with a new production designer or art director uh, I'm sort of comforted by the realisation that I am not at the point where I could do what they are doing. Yeah. You know, the, the, the amount of... It doesn't matter how sort of naturally talented you are or how much you know, there is nothing that replaces that on-set experience. Yeah. And so I think true. this I, is something that you I would always, echo. I always, yeah, I always think that. There is yeah. nothing so, that replaces it. I so, think, And there's people I know that I think feel that there is something that replaces it, but I think that's people with big egos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look at like the the great filmmakers, and you know, like yeah, people. Some people just do have a natural talent for it, but that is not. You have to you have to do so much. I mean, that that's the thing that's so exciting about what I do, like or or anything involved in filmmaking or creativity, or it's just like that. There's no end to like learning. There's there's always yeah. something. Like even the best cinematographers in the world are still learning, and that's like so inspiring. Like that these yeah. people that have got like a lifetime of experience and like knowledge on it are still learning stuff and like yeah what you were saying earlier like that that was a, that was a thing that i really like about film like the fact it's this kind of way of telling stories there's like a really concrete product at the end that you can really easily yeah. show people and it's a really nice yeah. thing to, you can just say oh watch this it's like a really easy thing to show to someone to be like oh hey i did this and it's like it's like quite satisfying to be able to do yeah that. and like you said you um work on narrative you work on music videos documentaries do you have a different approach for each of those or do you approach them in the same way but I guess I guess you always have a different director so how much does that affect yeah exactly that's it like I think a lot of so like first of all I'm like super young and new at what I'm doing I have to say like I'm I'm very seven years in I'm very I'm very fresh (laughs) but yeah it's very different and it completely depends on the director you're working with really because like every director works so differently and I have to like mold how I work to them. Every project is so different as well. Like a documentary, like I'll do barely any prep on, like maybe some kit lists right. and we'll just rock up and shoot it, which yeah. is which is really good fun. Like I really enjoy like sudden kind of creativity, if that's how you want to put it. Like yeah. it's, it's you just have to come with a the shot there and then and like figure it out like really quickly and be like, oh, quick there. It's just really immediate. And I, that that's another reason why I love filmmaking so much because every day is so different and every job is so yeah. different and you're always meeting new people and like trying new things and like that's that's a particularly nice aspect for me is that there's the 
the sort of social side of things is is working yeah. with with other creative people who are very talented. It's so rewarding, you know, it's a sort like. of a team creative endeavor. Yeah, um, so which sounds a bit like artsy, but it, it, uh, that is the well, way I look at it, and it is really really nice. You know, when you work with the right crew, everything just is so seamless, and it's yeah, it, it's beautiful actually. To it's so rewarding, like working with like a really good director, and you're like I don't know the times I've been in like Lagos in Nigeria, and like you're just like sweating, like you can barely <laughs> see your monitor because it's just you're just running like, and it's like, and then the director shouts, "I'll oh, do that shot," and you're like, "How are you thinking of that when we're in this like craziness? Like, how are you still coming up with creative ideas?" Yeah. It's so rewarding, like like learning from other people in that way. And so, Aaron, do you feel like you have a style yet, or are you is that not something you? I've been I spent today like sort of flicking through some of your films and I do feel like there is a cohesive style but I wonder if that's something that you've aimed for if that's just a natural thing I think every DP aims not to have a style because you should okay. absorb you should okay, absorb so was that, kind of I shouldn't style. have said that <laughs> no, 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 wait, wait, no, no I mean, I think it's every, something every, that every, is difficult to get away from because it is no. shot by the same person yeah, you know, no, and you're bringing every, your own experiences Yeah, every, every DP like wants to adopt the style of every project they do However, yeah. every DP has a style, whether they like it or not, because everyone has yeah. their own experiences in the way they see things. As you say, you can watch someone's work and it looks different to someone else's work because of just yeah. their sensibilities and how they view things and how they how their feelings like react to a certain type of light or camera movement or whatever it is. You know, yeah. I I'm kind of, this kind of this slow process of me slowly kind of discovering what my style is. Because we live in this, like, really Instagram-y kind of world. So I feel like yeah. part of my style is just, like, trying to be what other people are doing, yeah. which is really yeah. bad. Like, I, it, it's a real struggle. It's like an internal kind of struggle with myself, actually figuring out and trying to learn what is, like, true to me. Because, like, that, yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's why I get hired, because DPs get hired because of the way they see, right? So it's, like, yeah. that you need to be able to see in your own unique way, because that's, that's your selling point. It's, it's this kind of constant battle with myself trying to figure out what that is, but <laughs> I'm slowly learning it. <laughs> and I think this is, so, this is something I've realised, you know, since working in our department, that the, the production designer works with the DP and the director... Yeah. Um, very closely that trio you know completely construct the feel of of what they're shooting <laughs> I was going to say the, I feel like the art department is slightly underappreciated in that respect so every department feels like a film <laughs> because everything you look at pretty much is art department and lighting and costume and makeup well and but, and, uh... if they're not you know everything that isn't bricks and mortar is our department apart from if you, if you exclude just, light? I was listening to argue. a big production designers podcast the other day, and they were saying that our, what our department deal with is everything in front of the camera that's dead and not alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But I mean, that that tells the story. You know, like so much of it is like the locations department and stuff. I guess. <laughs> I guess. It's, I guess. Yeah. In, okay. I guess, in a sense, the locations department is under the control of the production designer. It's all the team effort, isn't it? It is a team effort. Yeah. The thing was saying like. When it works, when I was assisting and I first worked on this, like a BBC Three sitcom with this incredible DP called Ben Ben Spence. Ben Spence. Just just watching like a set like that operate for the first time was like so magical and like just everything like, like gets ready at the same time and it all just falls into place and then they shoot. All the jobs are kind of being done towards this one moment where you start ro- turning over and rolling and then it and then it just works and you just capture it. Even when sort of half the crew like production, when production are letting the team down. 
but all of the sort of creative, you know, the director and the DP and the production designer, if they're working well together, mm. they can well, usually pull it out of the bag. I'm going to take it on a slightly different tangent. Fingal, what's like the weirdest or most fun thing you've had to make for a set? Or like you've most enjoyed making? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the um, ITV thing I'm on at the moment, uh, one of the sketches. So these are written by the comedians. So actually she'd written in that she, she gets a bucket of, of cum chucked over her. Right. <laughs> so that was something that we had to make, which was actually quite good fun. <laughs> so it was uh, it was corn syrup, uh, corn flour, and oat milk. Excellent. Yeah. Makes quite a quite good consistency, like a, a sort of a skin safe edible consistency. It's weird what you find yourself doing, like on this BBC Three pilot, like the the art, art production designer Eleanor, she. <laughs> I mean, there was a scene where she, the, the, these two characters stood in a stood in a poo, and it was like, and she had like like ten different poo options, just all on these plates, and it's all like I think it's like peanut butter and it was tahini and cocoa powder. I think, yeah, she, I, I talked to her afterwards, and she's there like setting this poo and like designing it. <laughs> so we just got, and we're all just kind of me and the operator just kind of watching, and it's like funny, it's funny, isn't it? Like what you end up doing with your life. But that's why I like our department so much because it's so varied every day, and you know it's not something that you could plan for. You know, you have to use your historical knowledge about things and then use your sort of creative intuition and sort of problem solving to, you know, figure out how to make some, some edible semen or, or, you know, how to make a realistic looking poo. Yeah, it, it's very varied and it's always very fun. There's literally a role for like every kind of person, like because you're yeah. you're recreating reality, I guess in in many yeah. cases. So there's like literally a role for each type of character, unless you're the type of character that doesn't like work in twelve hour days. People who don't work in the film industry, there's this sort of romantic idea about you know <laughs> how how flashy and sort of fun it would be, and it is fun, mm. but yeah, twelve hour days it's well, hard work. Eleven hour, and, eleven hour days, isn't it? yeah, but yeah, it's often longer than. I feel like there's a lot of young people these days that like, or or kids that I guess are thinking about what they want to do. To like see like YouTubers or or something like that, and just see it's like, oh, it's just, you know, just do that and like make some videos and earn some money. You look at some like huge world-renowned DP, and they're like, oh, you know, we can get to that. And it's like I don't think kids realise like the amount of commitment you you have to put in your life to achieve that level of a success. I can't even fathom it, and I people commit like their whole they commit their whole lives to this stuff. I feel like this is quite a good thing for people to know because particularly like having just graduated I feel like there's a real sense within our generation of like why have you not made 10 films by the time you're 23 why aren't you doing it all for yourself immediately and actually I think it's really important to hear that like it takes years yeah it does take time absolutely and to, to get yeah. You know, you have to sort of work out, you know, a, a, a team of people around you that have similar sort of work ethics, similar aspirations, yeah. people that you work well with. And you can sort of carry, yeah. you know, each other up. And I think it takes a few years for you to figure that out. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I realised this actually last week. I've been very lucky with the people, that the production designers that I've worked with so far, because they've all been yeah. really fantastic mm. people. Yeah, same. I've been very lucky with the people I worked with and used to assist for and stuff like being so nice to me when I people that are open to teaching you things which I think is something that we have taken for granted yeah I mean I yeah, yeah I messed up a lot <laughs> a lot <laughs> but you live but, and you learn yeah <laughs> but, but yeah like having people that you can that can just like put you aside and just tell you instead of just being a dick about it is like so 
so thankful for. Um, Aaron, I want to ask you about one of your recent documentaries, No Ball Games, which was a film made for The Guardian, and its subtitle is um, Life and Play Through the Eyes of Children. It's also framed by the statistic that the government has cut spending on youth services by 70% in the past decade, and the film sort of follows children all over the country who theoretically would have benefited from youth services that had been cut. It's a beautiful film and I think your cinematography really makes it because often with films like that there's a danger that it will seem sort of voyeuristic or too kind of cold in its observation and I think the way you film it um, you sort of really get in amongst the kids and there's never a sense of sort of judgment it's just the camera's sort of in amongst the play. Yeah so I was wondering if you could talk about making that and sort of the sense of maybe responsibility that came with that but also the freedom you had to just run around with the kids and whatever so yeah you could talk about that. my day thank you <laughs> um that was that was a really magical project to be a part of like it um charlie regan who is probably one of my most valued directors i work with she um her grand film got nominated for a bafta and ever since then she's just been doing crazy stuff and everyone yeah. says that like dps progress faster than directors because they shoot they're able to shoot more but she's just like skyrocketing and i'm like ah yeah. cool <laughs> but yeah no she's she's like really incredible and this and yeah last summer she was like oh do you want to you don't have to do it if you don't want to you know it's not your kind of thing but i'm just doing this little documentary we're gonna go around the uk like filming kids and stuff and i was like, I was like yeah of course like anything like i'll do yeah. do whatever um and yeah we literally just we shot around wales in the Midlands, like around Red Car, did some stuff in London, and it was, I think it was like two two weeks. It was like over last summer. I like missed missed all the f- you missed all the festivals. I bu- booked some festivals <laughs> and then to which sell, I went to instead. Sell the tickets to Finger and I <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, and then I was like, oh, next year I'll go to festivals, and then all this happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was oh, so it was so good. Like looking, I could watch that film so many times because it's just. It just brings back so many lovely memories of, like, all these, like, really incredible kids. Like, really incredible. And it's, like, it's really sad because, like, so many of them are in just really bad environments. And, like, and some of them were so lovely and, like, like just, just really nice humans. And that's really nice to hear you say all that about the cinematography. Because that, that was something that Charlie particularly wanted to do. Like, wanted the energy to, like, be, be with them. And, like, she wanted me to run around with the kids the whole time. Like, it was not easy. God. Running around, most of the stuff she didn't even use. I was literally like last summer, just running around like these woods, like running through all these trees and like sliding down these gorges with his camera. And they're like, I'm getting their legs caught in brambles, and I'm like, so it's gonna be alright. Like, don't cry. <laughs> I think that definitely comes across though. That sort of, and they they are very good in front of the camera as well. You know the way they they sort of interact yeah. with with you, and I think that that possibly that that speaks to the interaction you had with the children. Yeah, you know, the, the way yeah. they it all feels very natural. Yeah. Actually. That was it. Was so funny because there were so many times when they're just like Aaron, Aaron, let's go film us, play this, come and film us. But I'm just like literally behind behind the camera, like trying not to say anything, just like laughing to myself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Stop talking to me. I love the bit where you're like you've got like a pylon from underneath so it's like it's such a good shot and they're like come and play and it's like Aaron's trying to get a good shot of the pylon <laughs> one of my favourite bits is when we're going to that fence and the two kids are like waiting on the other side of the fence and, and I put the camera down <laughs> and the other one just leans down and is like do you want me to grab it? <laughs> <laughs> 
It was so good. So good. Like, it is really heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah, but I think part part of the the reaction, all the th- stuff that they said, was like so much of like what Charlie did. Like the way she asked her questions was like so good. Well, she's fantastic with people. She's so she's she really she... she really does understand like characters and like how people written like interact with each other like you can tell by the way she writes her narrative scripts yeah it was a really magical project to be a part of and to see it like come into a product product like that where it just it just really like worked um it's just really really rewarding and like the all the all the kind of camera work that i did i guess was was part of it as well but as well as there was a colorist who did an incredible job on it i've never been if, if the people might not know what a colorist is, it's basically do. Now I just realise I don't quite know how to explain the job of a colorist. <laughs> they colour grade the whole thing. They, they, yeah, they alter the colours to yeah, sort of fit the story. Fit the story in the mood, yeah. Um, and she just gave it to this guy and was like, I'll do what you think's best. And he just yeah. did magic on it. Like, truly. I've never been yeah. so blown away. Like, it's got this perfect, like, level of, like, kind of melancholy and just, like, sadness but happiness yeah. at the same time. Like, it was so perfect. Yeah. I was really blown yeah. away by it, so... Yeah, I'm very thankful for him, for his work as well. <laughs> you yeah. had a bit of trouble, though, with people, didn't you? I mean, mostly your interactions w- were positive. Oh, yeah. Some... Yeah, because there was a, some stuff we did in Redcar in the Midlands mm. where some, I think they'd shot some of Benefit Street around them. And so the commu- right. the whole commu- the community was quite tight and they yeah. were really wary of like people with cameras. But like we were yeah. very lucky with, 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 with all those communities. It was nice to be able to... to portray something positive from those communities because of the fact you know that the benefit street and stuff paints them in a very negative light yeah um, it's a sh- it's a shame that that it's a shame you get that kind of stuff that does portray people in a bad light like that because you know like it's, we almost we almost couldn't use one of the one of the groups of people that we wanted to use and but yeah i think they showed in the film and they're like okay it's not it's not bad yeah. that's a really really rewarding project to be part of for sure I want to move on to talking about projects that you've worked on together because I think that must be quite nice. I thought of a, a recent music video that's just been released, Izzy Bizu's music video, MG, and I know you're both involved in that and that's sort of a completely different vibe from the documentary that's much more sort of glamorous as music, sunsets, completely different way of using the camera. So yeah, what's what's the difference between um, shooting a documentary and a music video? And also, yeah, is it is it nice working together? Yeah, no, it's really nice working together. I think it was... Like it was um, when I did some of my grad films down in Dorset, it was a similar kind of feeling. Like seeing my parents like do what I do is like a really satisfying feeling. And I guess it's similar for Finger yeah. as well. Like it's just nice like sharing that experience with your family. Absolutely, and I, I, it's nice because I'm sort of you know I'm a lot lower down in the sort of um, the film because there is it's definitely very hierarchical. You know, I, I am just a oh. lowly art assistant, but you know, working with Aaron on set is really nice because I can you know I can go and talk to him directly, and I you know I, I so I have that yeah. sort of and because we're twins as well, I think there's there's a sort of um, there's a level of respect that I am uh, sort of given that maybe an art assistant wouldn't usually be given because yeah. I know you know because I'm related to Aaron so that's that's nice from, from my perspective from a sort of a purely uh, selfish perspective that's really nice uh, and also you know seeing Aaron work it, it's really nice Aaron's very very good at what he does um so it, it's always good fun yeah it is always good fun working you know yeah that was a fun project there was a lot of hiccups and it's funny because like all that stuff yeah you 
kind of forget about it and no one really knows or sees it in the final product but that yeah. was a <laughs> it was such a windy weekend and this is I, I guess you, you kind of pick it up but there wasn't any wind machine or anything we were down in uh, Hastings and it could not have been oh. windier yeah. but you know through colour grading and through the shots it's something that just sort of completely moulds you know melts yeah. into the background which is always quite interesting it was, re- it was really challenging though because like that I mean it couldn't be far away from the kind of the Noble Games documentary it was just there's just a lot more like prep and planning that goes into a music video or any project like that. It's I got the job quite last minute. I got it like four or five days before shooting, and I was there was this other much one of my I guess you call my men, one of my mentors, a much much bigger DP than I um, was originally on the job, and he got a big commercial, so he couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> so I was like got into the job last minute when they had this like really good DP prior to me, and I was like shit, I need to try and do a good job on this and it was really challenging because like they wanted the whole idea was like having they wanted it to look like a hollywood kind of la music video like in hastings (laughs) in in windy hastings which is a really challenging thing to do in the uk (laughs) but it's that on the ground problem solving that sort of separates the wheat from the chaff you know whether if you can do that then you know you can kind of do anything (laughs) and it's not something you really pick up on you know we the the um one of the last shots, uh, the petrol station at night, we were, I think we were basically shooting that between um, it raining. You know, it would rain a little bit. We'd yeah. get a dry spell, yeah. we'd shoot that. Yeah. And you can't tell, you know, because you're only yeah. recording yeah. that little section. And I think that's something that's quite funny about the film industry is so much of it you can fake, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like for the, the um, stand-up sketch show, I was, um, we were doing a kitchen setup, and I had to construct some... some um, some kitchen cupboards, but it was literally just a sheet of, of MDF, and you know, it, you, but you yeah. couldn't tell because it's just in the background, and it's, yeah. it's not something you're scrutinizing, so you mm. can lose so much of that in the background. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's always it's always quite a fun what you can what you can actually get away with. Fingal, I want to talk a bit about your painting and your printmaking and your other art practices. You said you've managed to do a bit more recently. So yeah, what what are you what are you up to at the moment? So basically, since I graduated, I hadn't done anything really, which which was actually quite difficult. But because printmaking, you know, you obviously have to have a, a you know you have to be in a print room basically. So it's not something that I could just sort of pick up. But I always figured that once I settled in London, I would be able to do that. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of in the pipeline. So I'm go- I'm going to get in back into printmaking quite soon. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess as soon as all this sort of lockdown stuff. So that mm-hmm. that's been very poor timing in that respect. But yeah, I finally I finally actually settled down a couple of weekends ago to do some painting because I've been I have actually yeah to be fair to myself I have been doing drawing a little bit. Um, I've been doing a little bit of life drawing and a little bit of observational drawing, which is, it's always quite calming. It's quite nice. And and also, I think one of the reasons I decided to actually settle down, well, I have the space now, which is one thing, um, to, to actually set up an easel in my bedroom. And, you know, I have, yeah, so I have space for it, which is something that I didn't have before. But also, it's quite a nice sort of juxtaposition to film work because it's completely different, you know, setting yeah. down, doing your own thing. It's important to have that, isn't it? I think, like, Definitely. I guess, I guess I've have that same kind of relationship with photography yeah right i I wouldn't say i do a lot of photography but it's nice to have that thing you can do in your own time Mm, mm. for yourself keeps you creative (laughs) sounding cheesy i was digging through my old sketchbooks yesterday trying to figure out because i haven't really done anything creative 
in that respect since I graduated. It's, it's been sort of picking through my degree show and stuff and you know, figuring out what I actually liked about that and, and where yeah. I might take my work in the future. There are a few questions which I ask all my guests. Um, the first question that I ask everyone is, can you tell me about an artist that's made a real impression on your work in some way? I, I guess... I mean, this is such an obvious thing to say, but I guess Roger Deakins is a big inspiration for many, mm-hmm. most young DPs these days. Barry Aykroyd is... I, th- I think a, another... Besides besides these these guys' incredible work, like, it's it's just their, like, attitude towards it that is probably the most inspiring thing. Just, like, listening to yeah. someone like Roger, like, talk about how he's, like... As I was saying earlier, like, how he's, like, still learning and, like... It's just like, yeah. what? Like, you're still learning? Like, yeah. And, like, um, someone like Barry Aykroyd, who shot, you know, like, Hurt Locker and Captain Phillips and some of the Bourne yeah. films. And, like, just, like, he he has his, his own style and he's probably the best in the world for that for that type of style of cinematography. And it's, like, and he's, like, so good at it. And it's, like, having, I guess, uh, when we were talking about styles earlier, like, having having your style that you own and being contacted for yeah. that yeah that's I guess the kind of the attitude towards it is the thing I, I'm i really inspired by just like just yeah. being a nice person and just being hum- humble and I think it's quite easy to try and to get ahead of yourself sometimes and there's a lot of yeah. characters that are maybe a bit too ahead of themselves um, and I think it's quite sometimes I catch myself I'm like nah Need to need to chill out a bit. <laughs> I think the production design. I'd actually know who who it is, but whoever did the production design on uh, Blade Runner forty nine. That when I saw that, yeah. it blew my mind. You know, to and I think this is what got me got me sort of actually committed to working in the art department and possibly you know uh, building my myself up to doing production design is you know actually being the person yeah. that that constructs a world like that you know having total control over over that it just mm. yeah there's basically a podcast that roger deakins does with his wife and they there's two episodes i where think they, you told me about it it's two episodes yeah. where they interview two different production designers and one of them might be that one mm-hmm. so, to so that was yeah i mean that film the production design of that is just my god it's it's like a combination of so many like things, isn't it? It's like the production designer and the the director and the yeah, and I guess absolutely. the 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 DB as well, obviously. Yeah, so I mean, I, I was thinking, I guess, particularly striking is those those shots um, in the orange fog, and that's obviously not just production design, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that that film in in its entirety, everything that you look at there is just <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely blown away by that. Yeah. Um, but in my painting, sort of drawing and painting, one of my tutors at Cardiff, I've, a, I've actually never, I don't, I've probably spoken to him once, um, Robert yeah. Pepperell. The painting, the kind of painting that I'm doing now, he is my biggest inspiration, but I've never spoken to him. So there's that, <laughs> just seeing his work is, uh, maybe look him up. He's, uh, so I, it's something that I've been meaning to rectify, but because I've, you know, between like work and whatever, I just haven't, got up to Cardiff to, to see him but I think as soon as you know all of these new restrictions and I'm going to try and try and meet him because I think I'm actually also now that I'm actually I've started doing painting again I'm finally at a stage where I can I can talk to I know what to ask him I know what the right questions are to ask him um, about his practice 
His thing is visual indeterminacy. Okay. Sounds very arty, this. It's basically made, making paintings... I'm sure I've showed you. Making paintings that look like things, but... but there's, so his paintings look like uh, collections of figures, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that... You can't latch onto anything specific. Yeah, I'm very inspired by his work. Um, what impression do you want your work to make on the world? It's funny, because like, so much of what I do is just, just... You know, it's not really doing anything for anyone, you know, it's just... It's, yeah. you know, it's not changing the world, is and, it? Yeah, and I guess especially, like, I mean, I don't do a lot of commercial stuff, but doing, I imagine doing a lot of commercial stuff really just sells your soul away to, well, that's, you know. Yeah. But, but like, then every now and again, you do get to do, like, really interesting projects. And mo- most of the time, they're, I guess they're probably documentary projects um, yeah. that really do make you feel that, like, like that no ball games one like that is something that felt like yeah. oh we this might be making some kind of change someone's opinion it's telling their story you know, you know at least yeah. in a very truthful way and I think there's yeah. you know there's something yeah and a, I guess a big one that I had a quite an impact on me was I did a few films um, with a director called Josh Cole for the Labour yeah. Party um, over the last two years or so and um, yeah just like interviewing like the people that have really been like hit by society in this country is like really like some of the most emotional interviews I've ever like sat through like listening to a homeless person talk about like how he's been hit by everything it's just like stunning all of us were just like in tears by the end of the interview it's just and I guess all you hope is that you tell their stories truthfully yeah exactly but I guess like those I guess those are the times where it feels like okay this might be might be making some difference to something and like that that's a very like rewarding feeling but I guess in like all the other jobs I do it's more it's more just kind of creative gratification for myself (laughs) and like my career path and I guess it's nothing it's not really doing anything for anyone else (laughs) I don't know I'd I'd be very um, uh, pleased and and, and honoured if someone took inspiration from what, what I do but I don't don't know if anyone does really. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. All your little, all your little assistants. I bet they're all like, <laughs> "Oh my god, Alan Green!" Exactly. <laughs> I I had a com- a conversation with a couple of my friends a few weekends ago about um, my sort of my personal practice, my painting, yeah. and I realised I was trying to describe to them what I was I was trying to put across in my artwork, yeah. what I wanted them to get from it. And I realised that it actually, it really doesn't matter what your intent, you know, this is what I have decided, that it doesn't matter what your intention is as an, as an artist, but you, because you can't control what other people take from it. Mm. So this was literally a realisation I had a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's sort of, it's sort of transformed, because I had a very specific, because of, from looking at Robert Pepperell's work, you know, that's what I wanted to create, I wanted to create these very sort of anamorphous um, paintings that are... They sort of they're, they're based on the human figure, but you can never quite sort of draw out what you're looking at. But I realised in conversation with my friends, it was a very it wasn't sort of arty or anything. It was just a very sort of down to earth conversation. I realised that it doesn't matter what your intention is because people will bring people will see what they want and they will bring to your work their own. You know, I guess this, is, this isn't particularly sort of profound, but it's a realisation that I had that it doesn't really matter yeah, what, yeah. what your personal intention is because you can't control what other people see. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a... So you have to make, what, you know, whatever creative um, thing you're doing, whatever your 
you're creating, you have to do it for yourself because you know yeah you have to and i and there's someone a few people that i studied with some of my course mates i remember they were very i, th- I feel like these particular course mates i'm talking about they weren't making art for themselves they were making it to sort of intrigue other people and i i don't know that that has never really interested me but then having this conversation recently with my friends i realized that it really doesn't matter you have to be happy with what you're creating yeah but i think there's yeah. also there's a satisfaction to knowing that, like, that something has worked and it has resonated with someone. Sure, yeah, like I mean, absolutely, could... yeah. But that's not something you can sort of plan for. You have to do it, you know, yeah, to yeah. the best of your own ability, you know, completely... Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, like... <laughs> sure. The, the sort of, you know, someone else appreciating is, is afterwards, after the fact, is, is really nice, you know, yeah. it's a sort of, you know... Yeah, um, for sure. Like, there's short films I've done in the past, and they're, they're, as we're shooting it, they're like, yeah, this is going to win an Oscar. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> First of all, it's definitely not. <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> you shouldn't look at it like that. You should, like, just yeah. make it to the best yeah. of your ability. And then, like, if it does yeah. well after, like, great. And and also, I think people generally find things much more interesting if they've been made truthfully and just as as it wanted to be. And then And then it's much easier to relate to it or whatever um is there a piece of art that you would like everyone or most people to have encountered you think it it would make the world a better place or help people understand something i don't know i mean there's so many there's so many really i watched an incredible film um Osundi, um it's by the same oh, yeah. directors blade run 2049 and sicario and like okay. mad film really mad film makes you think about you know, just the world and like how is people are always like unhappy with like where they are in their lives and like you, everyone will always be like that but like i think when you watch things and see other experiences that other people have been through like you kind of put things into perspective for you and you're like okay maybe and i guess that's what that film did to me or would could do to many other people i guess i don't know really i art is such a sort of um subjective. such a subjective thing that you know something yeah. that means a lot to me um probably won't mean anything to somebody else mm. um that's so true like people are like, oh it's a really bad film or that's a really good film it's like yeah to you to your taste it's... there is a particular painting that, that i got to see when i went on my on my gap yard i went to uh detroit i saw it in the flesh i saw a whistler painting it i think it's it's my favorite painting so i think it's called nocturne in in black and gold or something yeah. It's really, really small. I've been inspired by this painting, you know, since you know the first time I saw it, and I yeah. got to see it in Detroit in the um, the uh, whatever the uh, art museum that they have there, and it's yeah. tiny. But it was, yeah. I mean, seeing yeah. that in the flesh was was really amazing. But you know, that's a very personal thing to me. I, I didn't even know it was there. That was the other nice thing. I didn't even know it was there, and I just came across it in one of the rooms, and I'm like, oh my god. Um, I don't normally answer my own questions, but I'm gonna add that I think everyone should go and watch Steve McQueen's Small Axe series on the BBC iPlayer, which started with Mangrove last week, because they are all beautiful, mostly true stories of black families in Britain in the past sort of 100 years. And they're really beautifully made. And um, yeah, I recommend those to all listeners. Before we go, is there anything you wish I'd mentioned? Anything I'd wish you wish I'd asked you? No, I think we covered everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could talk for hours about like light and stuff that would just be really pretentious yeah. and boring for everyone I think you have to save that until you get your own podcast 
um oh also i meant to warn you at the beginning i always get my guests to name the episode what about how do you twinlings so get this right the the itv thing i'm on at the moment the entire art department are twins no way what are the chances yeah yeah so jade the the art director she's a twin and then the other art assistant leah is also a twin it's just bizarre and it's i don't know what it is because she she's been working in film for ages and she's never come across twins really but it feels like we work with so many twins our housemate is a twin i didn't even realize until a couple of weeks before we moved in together there's a there's a gaffer that um aaron works with sometimes and i work with sometimes he's also a twin they just it feels like the the twins are taking over the film industry but yeah, for the entire art department. <laughs> Thing was, been working in, been working for like six, for like four months. He's like the, the twins are taking over the film industry. <laughs> it you feels know. like it. Maybe I think I think that should be the title. Twins, the twins are taking, taking over <laughs> the creepy clone twins from. <laughs> it's just bizarre, sort of. Sound, yeah, sounds like they're taking over. So honest, we, so me. the three of us, the art department, we have a um, our WhatsApp group for. The stand-up sketch show is called Twinlings, hence the, wow. hence the suggestion. But yeah, absolutely, twins, twins are taking over. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> it's no really worries. nice. Thank you so much. Yeah, it has been really, really nice. Um,